Hello, friends, and welcome to Ways We Work. This is a podcast all about the things we put work into, whether it's our careers or our personal growth. This podcast exists to explore all the ways that people do the work that's meaningful to them. I'm Amanda, and I'm the host of this podcast, and I'm also a certified coach. I work with purpose-driven professionals who might self-identify as high achievers who are looking to quiet that voice inside their heads that tells them they're not good enough so that they can do the work that's most meaningful to them with more resilience and ease. My approach to coaching is really grounded in curiosity and self-compassion so that people can grow in a way that is sustainable and actually feels good. And if you're curious to learn more about that, you can go to coachingwithamanda.com. This podcast is also an evolution of the online interview series, Ways We Work, and you can check out over a hundred interviews with creative professionals and teams from places like Facebook and Spotify at wayswework.io. I am so glad you're listening. And if you're here, I would love it if you dropped me a hello on Twitter at Amanda Wood. All right. Let's get into it. So the last time I produced an episode for this podcast was August of 2019, which feels like an absolute lifetime ago. It's good to be back and I'm going to spend this first episode sharing what I've been up to since, what I'm doing now, and a little bit of my own story with all of you. My inspiration for getting back into the podcast is that in June of 2021, I quit my full-time job at Shopify after five years to take some time off, and now I've launched my own coaching practice. If you've followed me for some time, it's not a secret that I love talking about self-development and personal growth more than just about anything. And while I love what social media like Twitter and Instagram enables us to do, it does not allow for the amount of nuance I feel these topics often require. So that is why you've got me in your ears. My plan for the podcast is definitely to interview some incredible folks who I admire because those conversations truly light me up. But I'm also going to experiment with doing some solo episodes where I just pick a topic related to personal development and share my opinions about it because I have a lot of them. What I'm going to share today is an adaptation of a talk that I gave at a conference called Gather North in November of 2019. And I was invited to speak by Avery Schwartz, who ran the conference about work-life balance and specifically why it feels so hard for us to just have hobbies and to not make everything a side hustle. It ended up being a very vulnerable talk and there was not a dry eye in the room, which honestly was so meaningful to me to just know how not alone I was in what I was experiencing. And so the reason I want to share it with you is that I know there are people out there who need to know they're not alone too. It's also a great way for me to share why and how my career has evolved from running Ways We Work to working in tech and to now coaching. And a lot of the values I hold when it comes to my own personal development and the work that I do with others. So I'll dive right in. Again, no surprise here, but I love questions. I love asking them. 
I love being asked them, and many of my own thoughts often begin as questions. It's hard to find commonalities across the different careers I've had, but the one theme that's followed me is that of asking questions. And there's one overarching question in particular that has weaved its way into all of my work, and that is, what makes work meaningful to people? It's why I started the online series Ways We Work. It led me into my roles in culture and diversity and inclusion at Shopify, and it also led me to become a certified coach so that I could learn how to ask this question and others in even more meaningful ways. So for the majority of my life, my career has been the sole thing I've put work into. Maybe you can relate here. For anyone who is into astrology, I have a Capricorn moon, so maybe that explains a few things. I wouldn't read books that weren't related to advancing my career. Even when I'd exercise, I'd do it because I thought it would make me more productive. Spending time with family and friends was something I would do when I had time between work things. Rarely an intentional choice. I felt this constant need and drive to be better, smarter, faster, more productive. There was always more I could be doing. And the thing is, I think most of us already know that balance is important. There are things that get in our way, though, and often we get in our own way. And so I thought it would be more useful for me to share how I got in my own way and how my relationship with my career and myself has shifted. So a couple of years ago, over dinner with my partner's parent, who is a registered psychotherapist, we were talking about personal growth, naturally, and I was likely talking about all the things I was practicing and doing in my own personal development and, you know, my career growth, etc. And at one point during the conversation, they asked me, okay, all that's great, but when will it ever be enough? Yeah, that question kind of stopped me in my tracks. My mind was bouncing around between thoughts as I tried to answer a question that I didn't have an answer for. You know, one part of me wanted to defend myself. I remember thinking, I've read all the self-help books. I practice self-compassion. I'm an evolved human being. (laughs) And then another competing voice that was interesting. But if I believe I'm enough, what's the point? I'll become complacent. I'll stop growing. My obsession with personal growth had masked a belief that contentment was complacency. And so I began asking myself that question, when will it ever be enough? I started Ways We Work when I was a new grad in my first full-time job, and I was navigating a lot of things for the first time, as most new grads are, and I had a lot of questions. And those questions led me to interview other professionals about how they did the work they found meaningful and the challenges and rewards that came with that. And readers really loved hearing the honest challenges people faced and the parts of their careers they didn't have figured out yet. And the readership grew quickly over the first year, and I became more and more excited about growing the website. A series of events led to me working on Ways We Work full-time, 
aka I was fired. (laughs) And if you want to hear that story, Emily Key actually interviewed me on her podcast called Emily Key Loves the F Word. And you can hear that full story there. (laughs) So I was doing ways of work full time and I was really eager to make it this uh, successful entrepreneurial story, right? And there were many highs, you know, my business partner and I traveled to companies like Facebook and Spotify, profiling teams on how they work together. And I got to interview people that I admired every week. Honestly, I loved that part of it. But the thing is, I never actually stopped to define what success would look like or what type of work would fulfill me most. We had a lot of trouble making money with the site, mostly because I didn't actually want to, (laughs) which has taken me a few years to figure out in hindsight, but it felt like this beautiful creative endeavor and trying to sell written pieces or advertising just didn't feel right. And if I'm completely honest, I was also just terrified about asking for money, which is another mindset I've managed to mostly work through since. (laughs) There I was trying to make a business out of something that deep down I didn't want to be a business. And I'm laughing now, but this was actually a terrible place to be. Um, You know, I had really lost sight of what made it so meaningful to me in the first place. What started as a passion project started to feel like a chore, but the thing was, as long as I was presenting the image of it being successful, I didn't really care that I was burnt out, that I was in a lot of debt, and that a lot of other areas of my life were suffering. So the site wasn't making money. I didn't know how to figure it out. The things we did try, I hated doing and usually didn't bring in enough money anyway. So I found myself in this pretty horrible loop of negative self-talk, which at the time I didn't actually have any awareness of. I think that's the most insidious thing about negative self-talk is before we notice it, it just, it just feels like the truth, right? Like it just feels like it's our thoughts and we don't realize it's something we can change. It kind of runs in the background. And so, well, I never took the time to define what success would actually look like to me. I clung to the belief that as soon as Ways We Work was successful, that would solve all of my problems and I would be happy. Thousands of people were reading the site every month and I'd get emails about how much the interviews resonated and how much people loved what we were doing, but none of that felt good enough. My identity was so tied to my career and to what I was doing that the thought of letting this thing go back to being just a hobby while I went out and got just a job seemed like an impossible choice for me. It just wasn't good enough. And in my mind, the only successful version was getting to the point where Ways We Work could sustain me financially. That was what I set out to do. And that's what I told everybody I was going to (laughs) do. And getting a job to support that pursuit felt like going backwards. It felt like I'd be a failure. And so in the midst of struggling with all of this, a company who had been sponsoring us for a while actually reached out and expressed that they wanted to acquire Ways We Work. And it felt like suddenly all the work had paid off and this was going to solve everything. (laughs) Um, I am not going to lie. My sanity was hinging on this acquisition happening at the time. And then it didn't. You know, 
not a happy ending. Um, <laughs> I was so crushed and felt completely out of steam. So there's this great excerpt from a book, which I highly recommend, um, by Heather Havelruski, and it's called, what if this were enough? And it speaks to what I was experiencing. Not only do many of us now expect to make money at creative careers that used to be seen as the poverty-stricken purview of a small handful of artists, but we also expect to establish a name for ourselves quickly, to find our work deeply satisfying, and to become famous overnight, or at least to have tens of thousands of followers. This really resonated with me and what I felt like I was experiencing at the time, so definitely recommend checking that book out. Right. There I was. I had no choice but to start looking for another job. And I was lucky to find a role at Shopify that really excited me. So I told myself I'd revisit Ways We Work in a few months. And that changed when my stepmom passed. A few months into my new role, we lost my stepmom to colon cancer. And I was in the room with my dad when she passed. There is really no way for that experience to not change you. It was almost impossible for me to focus on the challenges at work in comparison to supporting myself and supporting my family through the grief. And I was still incredibly hard on myself through that process. You know, judging myself on how I was grieving, I wanted to get back to being productive, to believing my career was the most important thing because that was familiar, right? And this painful, unknown space where you're questioning everything was scary. And while I did get excited about my work again, my relationship to my career had really shifted. It was hard to find meaning in my own work and even harder to muster up curiosity for how others found meaning in theirs. And the belief that I could always be doing things better was so insidious that I was applying it to how I was grieving. I was operating from this place of feeling like I needed to prove I was worthy of the job I had, of the love and support I had. And I spent so much time in debt. And now that I had some money, I didn't believe I was doing enough to deserve it. And I was holding myself to this standard that I never truly believed I'd meet. But I also wasn't going to allow myself to be happy until I met it. And I applied this to so many other areas of my life. I told myself... It had been a bad couple of years, things were going to get better soon, and once they were better, then I would be happy. About a year and a half later, we found out my dad had prostate cancer. My dad's diagnosis felt wildly unfair, and I was angry. I really stopped believing that life was going to get better, and I found myself almost fueled by revenge and this determination to enjoy life if it was going to be so unfair. I sort of picture like a toddler stomping around. <laughs> it was really how I felt at the time. And so in time, that perspective shifted, and I was able to really see the last few years as both a series of highs and lows. You know, grief and, and burnout are awful, but I could also see the gifts that came from them. I became a lot closer with my dad. I became intentional about deepening the relationships in my life. And I had been knocked over the head twice with the realization of how temporary life is. 
I realized that life was going to keep happening. And while I couldn't really control what happened, I could control how I responded. And most importantly, I could choose to find happiness now. But putting that into practice (laughs) would take a lot more time and work. So through my coaching certification and a lot of therapy, I spent a lot of time looking inward and it's still something I do, um, in my, in my own practice. And there was a lot of ugly shit. (laughs) Uh, you know, I learned how disconnected I had become from my own intuition. I often found it really hard to discern between what was my intuition and what was my inner critic. Maybe that is familiar for you. If you're listening to this, I feel like that's something I am still always working on. It's a bit of a take some tuning and my inner critic said a lot of things, but it boiled down to you're not good enough. I really started to see how little I thought of myself and how little self-trust I had. And I kept returning to that question. When will it ever be enough? When will I ever be enough? I started to realize that my inner critic was rolling my inner dialogue And to start hearing my intuition, I had to believe that I could trust myself and that I was worthy. And to believe those things, I had to love myself. I had tried to practice self-compassion and found it incredibly difficult. If I made a mistake or struggled with something, I'd try telling myself, oh, you did your best with what you knew. But I didn't believe it. You know, my inner critic told me "Um, that stuff is for other people and you need to do better and you need to be better. And it sounds kind of ridiculous, but that's, that's the belief, right? It was like, no, 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 no. Like self-compassion, great in theory, great for other people, not for you. That's not how it works for you. And so in January of 2019, I finally felt ready to return to Ways We Work, this time as a podcast. And then that summer, my dad's cancer came back a second time. And I'd produced about 10 episodes of the podcast at that time and had no plans to really stop. But when we learned my dad would soon start radiation, I decided to pause and focus on family and my own well-being. Again, the negative self-talk creeped in, but I was starting to get better at being gentle with myself. And a lot of my journey has involved some amazing coaches and therapists that I have been incredibly lucky to work with. And throughout it, I had two real, what I describe as, oh shit moments. The first realization was, wow, I've been fucking mean to myself. It was the first time I could really like viscerally feel unawareness of my negative self-talk. I don't know if you've, you've ever experienced that, but it's like the, when we talk about this in coaching, it's like when the, um, the subject becomes object, right? It's like, suddenly it's not like this thing that you're unconscious of. You can see it like from the outside looking in, I could see that this, this loop of negative self-talk playing and realizing that it wasn't me. It was, it was a part of me, but it wasn't like wasn't the truth. And I could really start to see the impact it was having on my self-worth. And I remember breaking down and crying and it feeling like one of the first times 
I've ever experienced real compassion for myself. Like I had stepped outside my body and I could feel empathy for this person that was me. It was really powerful. A few weeks later, I walked into a therapy session feeling concerned that I kind of lost my drive. I felt good, almost too good. You felt a bit nonchalant about everything. And we were nearing the end of the session and my therapist asked me to just be still and see what came up. And my mind was quiet for a few moments. And then came the question, what do you do when you no longer hate yourself? And I know even saying that out loud sounds extreme, but that was really what it was. It was like, what do I do now? I've lived this way for so long. And this has been my main internal narrative for so long. What do I do? And for the first time in a long time, I knew what it felt like to love myself. And it was both liberating, but also incredibly uncomfortable. There was suddenly a new voice in my head, one just as strong, if not stronger than my inner critic. And it was confident and it was compassionate. And as happy as I was to have someone in my corner, it was really unfamiliar and disorienting at first. It left a bit of a vacuum. Now, my inner dialogue looks something like this. What makes work meaningful? What drives it if it's not a fear of inadequacy? It left a lot of lingering doubts. You know, like, what if you're just justifying your own laziness What a privilege to choose not to run yourself at 100% all the time. Maybe you should, because others do. And what good are you to society if you're not giving your all? It feels so wild to say those questions out loud. You know, they seem absurd when you do. But for most of us, those kinds of thoughts are completely running our internal narrative unchecked. But what I realized was it doesn't mean that you do less although it can, and it doesn't even need to mean changing what you do, but it changes how you do it. You approach things from a place of curiosity and of interest rather than a place of feeling like you need to prove your worth, comparing yourself to others, or a feeling of inadequacy. And um, Christian Neff, who is like the leading psychologist on self-compassion, did this really incredible podcast episode on um, hidden brain recently. Highly, highly recommend it. And she really got to this concern, right? Like the most common reason why people don't practice self-compassion is they are afraid that it's letting themselves off the hook in some way. They're afraid that they will stop growing. They'll stop like, you know, improving themselves. And her research proves that it's actually the opposite. That self-compassion isn't about thinking you're, you know, perfect and flawless. It's really about accepting who you are, you know, all your strengths, all your flaws. And self-compassion is what allows you to look at those things that could use some improvement. And it allows you to fail and pick yourself back up and try again. So I thought that was, that was really interesting. You know, here I am having a fear that, you know, is like the main reason why everyone avoids self-compassion and practicing it. 
And there's actually another excerpt from that book I talked about earlier called What If This Were Enough that really speaks to the disorientation I was feeling at the time. And it says, many of us learn to construct a clear and precise vision of what we want, but we're never taught how to enjoy what we actually have. And so, you know, when we know, and I'm doing air quotations, we should have balance in our lives. It becomes almost another thing to strive for. When you believe it, it no longer feels like something you need to achieve. It's just a belief that you hold. You know, you don't need balance. You actually just want it and you believe you deserve it. And so I've been sitting with this for a few years now and really nurturing it the best I can. There is, of course, loads of uncertainty in my life still, but I'm much more comfortable with that now. And I ask myself different questions. Questions like, what fulfills you? What makes you feel good? What's important to you? I still believe in setting lofty goals and having big dreams. And I still have a habit of making everything into a side hustle. Don't, uh, I'm not perfect there. (laughs) But the difference for me now is that with or without accomplishing, you know, these goals and dreams I have for myself, I already believe that I'm enough and that I deserve to enjoy life right now. There's always going to be another challenge to tackle, another opportunity to seize, another goal. But if you can't find happiness right now, you're not going to find it in the next achievement. And so instead, I find myself focusing on what makes the process most fulfilling and kind of letting that be enough. And that's the practice. You know, I wrote this talk, like I said, back in 2019, but I reread it frequently as a reminder to myself because something in me definitely did shift, but it requires intentional practice to stay in this mindset. And I've fallen in and out of it lots of times since. So my question for you, and maybe a helpful journal prompt, if you're interested, is how might your life change if you already believed you were enough? Thank you so much for listening. I'm really grateful you're here. And if this resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. You can find me at Amanda Wood on Twitter or on Instagram at Coaching with Amanda. And if you want to support this podcast, subscribing and sharing it with a friend is the best way to do that. Thank you again, and I'll see you next episode.